0: All right, here we go. Yet another one, Adrian. How are you? I am doing great, Pat. How are you? I'm doing good. It's it's the audience doesn't realize it, but it's rather early. We get some stuff to knock out, so I'm sipping mm-hmm. my morning coffee. So I apologize if there's some annoying sips if you're listening to the audio format. That's that's my fault. I actually today's, finished mine too, and I'm rocking the old school BTWB oh yeah. uh, mug. Oh, I just realized I don't know where that mug of mine is. It could be lost. But today's episode is about Choosing your language and choosing your language wisely. And I don't even remember how this particular topic came up, but I do feel it's fitting because although everybody listening is very immersed in the strength and conditioning culture and improving your work capacity and fitness and how do you eat, if you're a coach or a trainer, whatever it happens to be, whether you want to or not, to some degree, you're a default public speaker and orator Mm -hmm. and you're communicating on a regular basis whether it's how to do an air squat or trying to find just the right words that don't shut somebody down to your nutritional message like words and word choices it's a very big deal communicating standards messaging culture and so we're going to dive into some just random communication topics
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you don't put such a premium on when you're a new trainer. Uh, It's pretty easy to kind of brush it off and be like, oh, the technical knowledge is what I really need to focus on. I need to understand anatomy a little bit more. I need to add more cues to my tool belt, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't realize that the soft skills of how you relate to people, how people perceive you, the unconscious habits that you carry into every class um, in every session – those may have a more dramatic impact on your outcome than whether or not you can teach somebody you know the difference between the insertion and origin of a particular muscle. Mm-hmm. That stuff might come in handy, and that might help your own conception of a movement, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if you can't get the message across in a way that somebody's going to relate to it, it's going to fall flat. And so, as you kind of progress and mature as a coach, I think that's one of the things that comes to light a little bit later on. At some point, I think every one of us has that moment where you stop and say, well, hold on a second. I know lots of stuff. How come the person in front of me can't just magically get all of that stuff downloaded into their brain? What's the disconnect? Oh, the disconnect is me and the way that I put it across. So really important topic. Yes. And, you know. I think both of us have done a
0: fair amount of public speaking, you know, For some and for some reason, people just continue to let us talk <laughs> for better or worse, for better or for worse. You know, and the interesting thing about being a coach or a trainer, uh, especially maybe it could be anywhere, right? You could be in a small town where maybe everyone in the 5 pm class looks to be of a similar demographic or you could be in some major metropolitan area where you literally have in a class every walk of life every mm-hmm. background every age range every economic situation and you're addressing an ex- profoundly diverse group of individuals and so i do think it's it is one of those areas that does not get the attention that it de- that it deserves because And I think we've all experienced somebody who's very competent and professional and engaging at speaking and somebody who is the opposite. And those two individuals could be saying, you could write down the exact same words in a piece of paper and how they carry themselves and the tone of their voice and their posture and the eye contact or whatever it happens to be. One of them, you'll just find yourself drifting into la-la land, not paying attention to anything that they're saying. And the other one, you're just focused and soaking it in. and Hopefully we can help create more speakers like that. Hopefully. So when I had one topic to talk about this, and then when I texted you last night, you made it a bit broader and I really liked that. So we're going to talk about four broad brush categories. And you know, we'll we'll take some paths or some rabbit holes if need be, but the four broad brush ones are brevity, details, knowing your audience, and then your friend and mine swearing. (laughs) an <laughs> old friend an old friend an old friend so brevity uh why don't you take that one because i'll tell you what oh boy brev- brevity is
1: something that my wife says i was not blessed with <laughs> <laughs> well, i was gonna say that the fact that you punted to me on that i'm like geez i don't know sometimes i feel like i'm so long-winded uh, especially in this format you know in a mm-hmm. podcast it's easy to start just uh Churning and the oh, words yeah. just keep coming. But um, I think, in the context of a coaching session, uh, brevity is absolutely your friend because, at the end of the day, people are there to do a physical thing. And the more that you are speaking, the more that you are stopping them from doing exactly that. It's really easy to forget sometimes that people are there to do, not to hear you talk about doing. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get something done in two words and allow them more practice because of it it's a win it yeah. almost doesn't I, I i would go so far as to say it almost doesn't matter what you're saying if they don't get an opportunity to practice it's a it's a total uh it's not even a wash it's it's worse than that it's a it's a problem um because you could you could be nature, talking you could be talking about midline stabilization while they're standing there with their PVC pipes in their head, or you could be talking about it while they're beginning to move. Yeah, or better yet, you have them move and just give them a quick little correction Mm -hmm. or a a steer in the right direction. Um, I think that's going to be way more effective because at the end of the day, And I'm the opposite of brief right now. That brevity allows practice. And I cannot emphasize that connection strongly enough. People come to do the thing. You have to let them do the thing. And, you know, it's funny. We're going to talk about swearing. And I was thinking about this last night. It's like I am more offended by a coach that doesn't allow somebody to practice because they're just motor mouthing it than I am by somebody dropping an (laughs) F-bomb. Right, right,
0: right. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of truth to that. And I have had some interesting experiences that have forced me to pay more attention to timeline and word choice and things like that. So if I'm not in a professional setting, yeah, I can chat it up. I'll, I'll sit down and chat you you sure. for a, a, a decent period of time. The professional settings that have been beneficial to me to really pay attention to brevity was... First of all, lecturing on seminar staff. I mean, there's a timeline mm-hmm. you have to follow. And and mm-hmm. there's some lectures have different timelines and others, and you need to get in what you need to get in. And I might want to tell 15 personal stories, but you can't do it because you're going to blow the timeline. So you have to stay on task. You have to stay mission focused. You've got to hit the big, important details. And then if you do that in a well-organized, timely manner, you might have a little bit of time left at the end. So that was useful to me of actually having a schedule to follow. And if you are Mm -hmm. self-identified as a little bit long-winded and you're laying out the time for your class, maybe you could have somebody give you an honest timeline of, hey, do you realize that when people come in, you typically talk for 15 minutes and like, oh, I actually didn't realize that. And okay, let's not try to make it five minutes tomorrow. Let's get it down to 12 next week. Then we'll get it down to nine. We'll find whatever that sweet spot is and holding yourself to some little standard like that might be might be a useful tool or technique for some people. So that was helpful yeah. for me. Then doing on camera work especially live broadcast was an entirely different beast because specifically with live broadcast You've got commercial breaks or somewhere to be. And those are not optional. Those are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so the camera might cut to you and your producer might say, doesn't matter what you want to say. You have 15 seconds, period, (laughs) like literally period, end of story. You need to make two, not 14. (laughs) No, because the camera is cutting away and you will look like a fool if you're still talking. So you need to make, and you need to make, by the way, two succinct points in that fifteen second, that are clear, mm-hmm. articulate, the audience understands exactly what you're saying and then you're off. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> so that was really, really challenging, but a very useful endeavor for me to be immersed in as well. And while I can be long-winded verbally, when I did have the opportunity in the past to write things, be it emails or articles, that's actually where I found brevity to be fantastic. You know, there's that great mm-hmm. saying that I'm going to mess up, which is, uh, you know, somebody's writing another person a letter and it's a bit of a long letter. And they say, Apo- I apologize for the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. And yep. that's because it's, it is tougher and more challenging to be brief and to just ramble and ramble and ramble. So I agree, it's, a, it's yeah. a skill, it's a talent, it's worth developing. And as we would say in the, in the media field, land the darn plane. Don't just keep, (laughs) don't keep just circling the runway,
1: land the plane, get to the point. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, man. You just spawned so many different ideas uh, in that little, little phrasing that you had there. Number one, land the plane. I think there's a few uh, things to address there. Number one, yes, land it. And number two, um, this is one that I struggle with is repeating things in a slightly different way because you're unsure. (laughs) That you uh, got the point across the first yeah. time, so that's that kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, but to go back and and address some of the things that you talked about, you know, if you are somebody that does struggle with this, don't despair because it probably is a good thing that you are willing to engage with people that you do you know talk that you have this kind of social um leaning that's not a bad thing when you're You're not terrified of public speaking exactly you just have to know when to harness it and so for example i think the wrong time to do that is when it's time to work when you're starting the warm-up when you're in the workout when you're doing skill practice but i think a great time to do that is during cool downs you know Mm. the kind of the kind of in-between time when people are trickling into your class but you haven't quite started yet yeah that's a great time to harness that skill and utilize it but then no one to shut it off. Um, so that's a big one. And then the second, you, know, you talked about having the benefit of doing on-camera work, which is really cool. Not all of us are gonna have that type of opportunity, but everybody has a recording device in their pocket these days. Mm-hmm. And it is exceedingly easy to just set that up somewhere out of the way, it's not gonna be a distraction, and just spend five minutes reviewing what you're doing at certain times during that session. I wouldn't sit there and go through the whole hour. I don't think that's going to be useful. But a couple of key points in just a few minutes listening to yourself, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot about what you don't like because most people don't like reviewing themselves. Right. Um, True. And it's going to jump out at you right away. So that's, I think, a tool that's totally underutilized. And when it is utilized, I think often it's done through the lens of I'm looking at my corrective process. I'm looking at the outcome of this athlete. That's great, too. But use it as that tool to refine your soft skills as well. Mm hmm. Land the plane. You see what I did there? I landed the plane. <laughs> tried just to land the plane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so many stories I could tell about
0: that, which would be long winded, <laughs> so I won't. A lot of hard lessons learned. So l- let's move on to the next one, which is when details matter, which. Oh it, boy. Which leapt into
1: my head always. But you, yeah. know, you had a bit more of an articulate take on that. Yeah. And it just harkens back to what I. Uh, spoke about already, which is when it's time to move, it's not time to explain. You have to keep people moving. You have to let them experience and do the physical thing. Remember, any sort of verbalization is just a proxy for doing the thing. And so you can't let one get in the way of the other. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a time when it might be useful to expand somebody's understanding of something by giving a little bit more of a thorough discussion. And that's usually much, much later. That's after the fact. That's after the workout's done. That's if the person has the aptitude and interest in actually digging in a little bit. And if that criteria is met, you know, that you're not under the gun of, uh, of the, the time for the session, you have somebody who's genuinely interested in this, and it can be genuinely beneficial for them to uh, have this kind of more thorough understanding, then yeah, sit down and have a conversation with them and see if you can't fill them in a little bit more. But outside of that specific set of circumstances, I, I don't think there's a lot of utility in it. And it really does serve the trainer more than it serves the athlete. A lot of times what that is, is just you trying to get out what you know, and whether it's um, that overt as, as to being you know, kind of self-congratulatory, that, that is kind of what it boils down to, It is you trying to convince somebody or, or express the knowledge that you have in a self-serving way. And so you really have to ask yourself, who is benefiting from this and make that call? You know, it's not exactly what you were talking about, but it's, again, a funny potential
0: story and, and rabbit hole and delay of our <laughs> Do timeline. It. Do it,
1: Pat. <laughs> which <Do> is,
0: <laughs> you know, you have had a lot of interesting experience. When you say details matter, you could talk about athlete briefings and things like that. And it's like sure. people, people wonder sometimes why. Briefings seem to get longer instead of shorter. It's because you're like, well, I didn't think anybody would actually do that. I didn't think that I'd have to say that. <laughs> so now I make a note that next time I have to say this because I never thought I'd see a human being do it. And then you know yeah. what? They come up with another creative thing. You're like, I can't believe somebody did that. So mm-hmm. it's like if you to the best of your ability, sometimes what details to include in your conversation as mission critical will illuminate themselves. Yeah, when you're just keeping your eyes open. That's uh kind of a funny thing there. But when I think of details matter, when you brought up this topic, I think of accuracy and precision of speech Hmm. matters quite a lot. And I think I've been fortunate with some occupations I've had that, again, the accuracy and precision of your speech was of of critical importance. I think back to pre-CrossFit days of like military briefings, whatever you're saying for the timeline like whatever it was, it was not opinion. Like it had to be hardcore, unequivocal, factual information and the details mattered profoundly. And actually mm-hmm. people were only concerned about the details. Your opinion was irrelevant. Give, give me the details and move on. And then my time lecturing on seminar staff was so beneficial as well because it was, I always try to keep it in my mind of when I was saying something to be very conscious and honest of when i was presenting some information was i presenting fact-based details or now did i drift into uh, a whimsical story uh, Mm -hmm. some some anecdotal evidence that i think is relevant but it's not actually hardcore facts and make sure that whichever one i was whether it was opinion or fact that's okay but articulate that detail clearly to the audience, so they were aware of which one that they were receiving, and it wasn't ambiguous. And the same thing going back to on-camera broadcasts: details matter. I can't be like, you know, so and so. Yeah, I th- I think they took seventh in twenty eighteen, <laughs> something like that. I mean, they did pretty well. That's not going to fly, <laughs> right? You, details matter, and if you have a very and if you're trying to stay brief, then that small window of time that you are going to be communicating you want to get the most bang for your buck and articulate the most clear and useful information possible and so for that opinion alone details matter word choice matters in my humble mm-hmm. opinion
1: yeah and that's i yeah that's uh, i guess a different lens than, than i was looking at it mine my mind immediately jumped to those that are just want to get all of the details that they know out at all times, mm-hmm. which I've been very guilty of. For you know, I, I like you said everybody, like you said yeah.
0: previously, you say something and you go in other words. Like nope, I don't need to hear it in other words.
1: <laughs> well, and again, I think it's 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 a double edged sword because most people that are going to choose to coach, they are excited about it and they are really passionate about mm-hmm. what they're trying to teach to other people. That's great. You should never lose that. You know, hopefully, that is something that remains throughout the year, your career is that you're fired up and you want to share this with others however you have to be a little bit reserved in that because it can really stop the thing that you all came there to do mm-hmm. so you just have to be a little bit more selective and you got to understand when it's time to uncork it and when it's time to just do the thing all right moving along to know your audience oh this is a big one <laughs> i mean this is a. Uh, This is everything. I think, like you said, uh, you can find yourself in a range of situations when you're coaching from a one-on-one with somebody that you've been working with forever, to a new person who's just stepping in and might have a little bit of trepidation about being there, to a group class that's got everybody under the sun in a big group setting and they all have different backgrounds and different experiences. And how you're going to interact with those different groups can be pretty different. I think the one underpinning is that you have to be authentic to who you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's something that gets a lot of lip service, um, and it can be a little bit harder to quantify. But it's true. You know, you can't pretend to be somebody else and and have a successful interaction that way. Um, but what you can do is be selective about what you're saying and when. And I think what that comes down to, if I expand it is just having the self-awareness not only as to what your own personal, uh, I don't know, kind of preferences are and the way that you speak to other people, um, but also assessing that group and determining whether or not it's the right call now to make that joke or to just stick to the script of the, uh, the workout. Mm-hmm. So yeah, take, take stock. Um, it's interesting because I don't know that I have a, a specific criteria for when and what to do because I think it's going to change so much person to person but I think the bedrock is that you have to just make that consideration who am I standing in front of how much time do I have with them how well do I know them and then I can kind of direct myself action yes uh
0: you touched on a couple things there that I'll take on as well the be authentic thing that you mentioned, I actually wrote that mm-hmm. down in capital letters before we started today, because I think it's so important. And that was another thing. I think, I think everybody should keep that in their mind at the forefront of their mind all the time, be authentic, be genuine, be you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I had to learn initially, again, with media stuff and going through some media training and all that is they'll tell you these things that you should do that, historically speaking. Are more effective, let's say, to communicate a message on camera, tried and true, you know, mm-hmm. and so they'll tell you whatever, more energy uh, be bigger <sighs> blah bitty, blah bitty, blah 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 blah. but the tough thing is that some people will do those things at the loss of themselves, and mm-hmm. that is not good. Yeah. It is possible, for example, I'm not you know my particular style might be more monotone and sarcastic new England new England sarcastic, and that is not a cheerleading be big energy kind of a thing but i had to take on that sort of information which historically has proven to communicate a message better while actually still being myself and it is possible to do that so whatever we happen to be saying today we're not asking anyone to be somebody else or be different Ideally, these things just you can make them mold around your personality, your Mm -hmm. style, your everything to hopefully be a more effective communicator, not necessarily a different communicator, a more effective communicator. And that is 100 percent possible with with practice. So, yes, I would really harp on that. Be authentic, be you, because if you're not and everyone is just this homogenous, same gray matter robot that speaks and acts the same that's profoundly boring as far as i'm concerned you know you want to have different people and so that's why the 5 p.m class has a different vibe than the 7 p.m class because you know katie's teaching this class and eric's teaching this class and and that's great and so please please don't lose yourself in the instruction manual that we're providing that would be that would be a swing and a miss so yeah with regards Definitely. to knowing your audience, something which popped into my head is a real life example too actually, and this is making fun of my previous community in the military <laughs> it it was it was a it was a bit of a transition from how I could speak to people in the military, and it was perfectly acceptable and fine. <laughs> <laughs> to coming out into the civilian world uh, where people were there voluntarily and paid to be there and how I could communicate or potentially express that I was displeased with something that they were doing <laughs> and that I would like for them to correct it immediately uh, in that situation. And luckily, I had some good mentors that didn't allow me to act like a fool for longer than necessary. And and learn how to read the room a bit better and be like, hey, you may not have noticed, but your environment's changed. Uh, you're still the same person, but you're standing in a different room. So you may want to look around that room and see who's here <laughs> and look at the faces of the people when you're saying things and pay attention to that. And it's like, ah. And I had one military, former military person who just didn't get it for whatever reason. It just didn't click. And and they were basically applying for a position. And their presence and attitude, their interaction with, with people was just, I mean, a little bit, some people can get away with being a, like a little bit rough and abrasive and it's almost mm-hmm. endearing, but that's a unique person, by the way. Okay. And chances are, you're not that person. Chances are, you're just coming off as rough and abrasive, uh, but maybe you have <laughs> the gift. Maybe you do have the gift. Most people don't. And this person did not. <clears throat> and it was, it was plainly obvious to everyone in the room, but him. Mm. And just uh refused to change, refuse to change. And so sadly, that inability to know your audience and read the room uh cost them in in the long run. And so I also had somebody at my affiliate that I pretty much I had to ask to leave because of how they interacted with other members and the way that they would communicate. And they were a former military individual. And if this this regular person asked for feedback or you know hey check out this video of me doing squats do you think I was low enough like an honest genuine open question they would get great feedback from most people and this person would be like those squats suck and I was like that's actually not gonna fly by the way (laughs) that's uh that's not helping anybody get better and if you were unaware that that's how you were coming off well now you're aware um and hey be you you know if that's just how you want to communicate to people I guess that's your right and and enjoy your right. But that's not the culture we're looking to create here. And so now you've got a choice, you know, again, be you be authentic to yourself. But uh, if you think that's coming off as useful and helpful to people, the other 99 people in the room, it's not, it's not doing that. So a bit of reading the room, I
1: think is, uh, is beneficial to many people. So those are my just couple short, quick real life stories there. Yeah. Well, I think what you said there is really important about creating the culture that you want that is huge and that is what is going to have a big part in attracting other people that want that same culture and so i guess to me it really just comes down to a little bit of self-awareness around what is it that you do want mm-hmm. and if it is this kind of hardcore hairy i'm going to tell people it sucks i'm going to be real and edgy with them well great that's fine as Super. long as that's a conscious choice and those are the the people that you want to uh, try to collect and and bring into the fold. And that's the little cadre that you're uh, working with. Hey, no harm, no foul. That's fine. Just don't let that be an unconscious thing where, you know, you are, like you said, rough around the edges. You're curt with people. You are, uh, direct to the point of, I don't know, uh, unpalatability, I suppose. Oh, Good word. Yeah. Uh, I had to reach for it, but, (laughs) but, uh, You know, If you're going to do that, just make sure that that is a choice that you've made and that you understand that by making that choice, there are other people that don't want to make that same choice with you. And if you accept that, then you go down that road. Cool. And everybody shouldn't read into that example that
0: I just gave of that one person being like, well, somebody might say in the audience, well, maybe that person needed to hear that those Mm -hmm. squats suck. Fair enough. What I don't want to be misread into that was that the standard was not held. Like, for example, we're not going to call right. a bad rep or a bad movement or a bad technique good. You know, we're not going to fall into that classic trainer where you just, use good, good, hey, good job, good, everything. like, everything's good. It's like, no, 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 no. That was not to standard. That was, you know, this is what it was going wrong. We're going to work to correct it. So we're not going to say that it's good just to make you feel good. Um, but we're not going to um, make somebody feel like garbage while we're trying to help them. That's yeah. probably the better way to that's, that's not improving that athlete. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, here we go. Finally, your friend and mine swearing. <laughs>
1: the old friend. <laughs> yeah, oh, that old. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, to me, this is time and a place. Time and a place. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly no Puritan. Um, you know, I don't think that it's a a blanket statement that, oh, you should never, never through these lips should mm-hmm. a foul word be uttered. No, of course not. Um However, I think this is maybe the ultimate example of knowing your audience and knowing when things are going to be received well and when they're not. And sometimes, you know, when it's the moment's right, maybe it's an unexpected thing and it kind of draws people in. It's funny. Um, you know, maybe it's one of those things that uh, it's, it's perfect for the person that you're working with. You know, they kind of have that personality that you can bounce off of like that. Great. Let her rip. You know, but again, where you're going to find yourself in trouble is when that's an unconscious habit and you're just letting it go. It's just a spew of profanity through your normal way of conversating. That's when you're going to have a uh, an issue, because certain people are going to be confronted with that and they're going to be immediately turned off and they're never going to get past it and hear the cool things that you do have to say that mm. might be hidden by it. So, one of those things that I think is a, a very easy, easy um, example of Know yourself, know your audience, and know when to match the two up. You touched on something which
0: which I have written down here because I think it's it is almost the most important element, and I'll get to that. It's the the potential benefit or the potential loss. You know, so mm. general things that I wrote down is first of all, it's funny because I'll get this question every now and then. People are like, you know, you don't swear, why don't you swear, et cetera, et cetera. I have nothing against swearing, first of, first and foremost. <laughs> and for the over—I mean, you've known me quite a while. For the overwhelming majority of my life, I would say I'm quite a seasoned vulgarian, to be honest with you. And especially, <laughs> by, especially my my previous uh. Uh, occupation in the seals—that's not the Vienna Boys Choir. There's a bit of there's a bit of rough language there. Okay, right, and. And even in the early seminar staff days, when we were lecturing around the road, um, you know, someone like a motorcycle gang, we were it was rough around the edges for sure. And mm-hmm. it was an easy fit right in for how I was used to communicating. And it it's, you know, slowly started, you know, professionalize or whatnot. And getting back to things I said earlier about broadcast, you know, I I found myself fortunate enough to start doing some broadcast even some opportunities through across it on like live broadcast well, on NBC, or whatever it happened to be. And I'm here to tell you if live on television you drop an f bomb, it is going to be profoundly bad for everybody involved. And I was so used to swearing, like a constant slew of vulgarities coming out of my mouth that it was like I was genuinely paranoid that I was going to slip up. like I was like, this takes way too much brain power. I'm so used to swearing this is <laughs> it's like a stressful endeavor. and so. I started making a conscious effort around that time to reduce it, truly because I was paranoid of slipping up and blowing an opportunity. And I was like, well, that's not Mm -hmm. worth it, really. And once I started really trying to curb how many swear words, vulgarities, obscenities that I used, only then did I actually notice how much I swore. It's kind of like, if you eat bad, you don't notice that blueberries taste Mm -hmm. sweet actually like you just don't have Mm -hmm. to have a dairy queen blizzard for it to taste sweet blueberries are sweet and then you eat clean and you're like wow fruit's really sweet i never noticed that before Mm -hmm. it was kind of one of those deals where i didn't notice how much i swore and how much everyone around me swore until i until i tried to stop because then i heard it all the time and i was like oh my goodness and so that was an interesting just exercise and I would almost encourage everybody out there. Like, I don't care if you swear, you want to swear, go ahead and swear. But it might be a fun exercise. Try not to swear for one day and see how challenging one day can be, especially if you're really used to swearing. It's going to be it's going to be challenging and it will probably what might actually be beneficial is it might force you to communicate extreme displeasure with different word choices. <laughs> and and that is somewhat useful to be honest with you. And the thing that you mentioned that was one of the points that really changed my mindset. And don't get me wrong, like I said, you know, I don't swear anywhere near as much as I used to, but if I came home today and my house had burned to the ground, I wouldn't say, oh, gosh darn it, there would be a school of vulgarities <laughs> that left my mouth. So it's you know the right time in the right place. Uh-huh. The thing that you said I think is really poignant, which is one day it clicked to me, I'm like, okay, if I'm addressing an audience, a crowd, and I want to communicate a message, that's my main point, to communicate a message. Mm -hmm. The people in the audience probably fall into one of three categories. First one is that they're totally neutral. They could care less whether I swear or don't swear. It's irrelevant to them. Since it's irrelevant, let's discard that group because they don't care either way. Now I'm left with only the other two. One's gonna be turned off by swearing, they're gonna find it actually distracting from paying attention to my message. And the other one is going to like, I don't know, really like or connect with me because I swore. But it's unlikely that somebody would say, you know what? I didn't really believe anything this Sherwood guy said about squatting below parallel not being bad for your knees. But then he dropped an F-bomb and it made a lot of sense. That's that's <laughs> most I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's still in the unlikely category. So then I'm left with potentially turning off some segment of the audience to the message. Well, that's the total Hmm. opposite of what I wanna do. And so the cost benefit analysis in my head was like, it's not there really. And so that was one of the points I made, regardless of anything else to significantly curtail my uh, obscenities in, in when I'm trying to communicate messages. And the only other thing that I would say is, you're familiar with a character by the name of Greg Glassman, right? Certainly. I think most people think that they're more like Greg Glassman than they are. So Greg Mm. Glassman is a unique character in the fact that he is profoundly intelligent, razor sharp, articulate, and times swear words almost better than anybody else. I mean, he Mm. he does all of that really well. And I think most people feel that they do that. And you might, but you might just come off in a manner that you don't think. And it might take away from how articulate you think that you're sounding. It might take away from the message that you're trying to get across. And so do whatever you want to do. I'm a big fan of freedom, but I would say that self-awareness and being really honest with yourself and the audience and how things are coming across, I I would just take stock of that. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. And I could not agree more. One thing that I kind of was ruminating on a little bit as you're going through that was, uh, again, I think it really comes down to a bit of self-awareness. You're talking about the time that you made the decision to clean up your language a little bit. And that caused you to really notice how much not only you, but those around you were relying on that as a tool. Oh yeah. And I think you could extend that to just about anything that is unconsciously being used as a crutch. And that might not be what it felt like at the time, but as soon as you start kind of stepping away from that, you're like, oh, hold on a second. Why am I using this particular tool unconsciously and to what end? Mm. And like you said, you go through this process, you're like, well, is this this actually serving what I want it to or isn't it? And then you can make the call. But when it's unconscious, you can't make that call. It's just going to happen. And so that to me is really the root of whatever behavior it is that you uh, uh, kind of adopt and use uh, habitually. If you can identify it, well, then you can make the choice. Hey, man, actually, this is actually totally serving what I want, and I'm just going to let it rip. Cool. But you made that choice. That's different than it just being an autopilot thing, and it's never examined. So that, to me, is really at the heart of this. Whether it's swearing or being too long-winded, yes, or you know, not whatever it is, um, it's it's that examination that matters. And so to land the plane, coming back to it, <laughs> I would say the one of the most important things you can do as a trainer, as a coach, as as a fitness professional, is to occasionally review yourself Mm -hmm. and just ask the question, is this serving the end that I want it to? And then make that choice. So that's really what it's all about. doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's the brief is too long. Maybe my cues aren't effective. I need to examine that and I need to have the honest self-reflection and then I need to act. And.
0: A couple of just points if people want to work on things at home for just general public speaking tips. And I know that is related to what we're talking about. I would say, again, be true to yourself, be authentic. You don't want it to be forced. But after you if you do record yourself and you play it back and you listen, a very simple place to start on top of everything else that we said is just removing ahs and ums from what you Mm -hmm. say. That is more prevalent than most people realize. And it's one of those things that if something in the audience starts to notice that you say ah or um, they'll almost start counting them in their head and that's all you can notice. And that in and of itself distracts from the message. And the ahs and the ums generally come out because you're trying to search for a word, formulate something, whatever it happens to be. And most people who are speaking conversationally on camera, doesn't matter what it is, have some unnecessary fear about having a bit of air in the conversation. And yes. There's nothing wrong with air in the conversation. And I'm here to tell you, again, I had to learn this because if you and I pause for two or three seconds right now, two or three seconds doesn't seem like a long time if you and your buddy are at a coffee shop. But if you're in front of an audience and you don't talk for one 1,000, two 1,000, that seems like an eternity. And you feel like you have to go, ah, uh, <laughs> Don't do that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with some air in the conversation. And a couple second pause is far less distracting
1: than filling it with ums and ahs. So that's that's the last thing that I would say. 100%. Give yourself the time to think when you're in front of people. It's a difficult skill to develop because like you said, it feels like you're just up there and the screen is blank <laughs> yes. but it doesn't come off that way to most people in the audience you've got more time than you think don't let your runaway train brain convince you that you got to just keep up with it and you know fill the space with a bunch of diction it's not the case take Brevity. a pause collect your thoughts and then and then go for it yeah, 100%. Land the plane. Land the plane. Okay. Land the plane. <laughs> well, <laughs> Clearly something I need to work on. <laughs> we will. It's, a, it's we'll. a journey, Pat. It's a journey, oh, not a destination.
0: It, it really is, especially if you've got the uh, <laughs> the gift of gab. But we, of course, appreciate everybody paying attention, listening to this. We really hope that you find this information useful. The overwhelming... See, these aren't really our shows. I mean, quite frankly, these are... Mm you know, the the community shows. And so most of the content, the topics and everything else, it comes from all of you. We genuinely appreciate all that input. So keep the comments posting, go to btwb.com, excuse me, the YouTube channel, find this episode, let us know what you're thinking. Do you have some other tips and techniques that you like to use? Do you have a topic or an idea for a future show? We'll read them and put them in the mix. So for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.